Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk. My name is John, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite directors of all time, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan has been making films since 1998 with following, and he has never stopped since. He has been trying to save movie theaters since the very beginning. You know, he shoots most of his stuff on film, or nowadays he tries to shoot it all on IMAX using the best cameras available. He makes sure that all of his movies get released in theaters. If you guys remember what happened with Tenet, he insisted that that movie get released in theaters because unfortunately it got attached to that HBO. 2021 let's release it on day and date but it ended up coming out in 2020 day and date it ended up being kind of a box office failure and because of that Christopher Nolan ended his longtime relationship with Warner Brothers and eventually ended up at Universal where he'll be releasing his next film Oppenheimer on July 21st 2023 and that's why we're making this video here today because like I said at the very beginning he is one of my favorite directors even if I haven't loved every single one of his films every single one of his films I've actually found something to appreciate in it and I think he's one of those directors that has never missed I think you know his ambition sometimes can get the better of him he tries to reach for the stars and sometimes it just doesn't work completely but one thing you gotta say is that his movies always visually are stunning he tells some of the most mind-bending stories. Obviously, he has his own set of tropes that he loves to include in all of his films, but they always look good, and especially nowadays when he's working with the IMAX cameras since he started with Back in the Dark Knight days. You know, he makes these movies that feel big on the big screen, and that's the place you're going to want to see him the best, although he has released most of his films on 4K. Only films that haven't come to 4K are his first three films, Following, Insomnia, and Memento, but everything else has had a 4K release, and they are some of the best 4Ks out there for my physical media fans out there definitely grab the Nolan 4Ks although they did come out in 2018 and they're all lacking Dolby Vision except for I believe Tenet and that could be a little bit disappointing because again some of the best looking movies you'll ever see so you want the best you want the bells and whistles on 4K that's what he does when his theater releases and that's why Oppenheimer I believe is the first film to ever be released on 70 millimeter IMAX black and white and then of course IMAX color you can only watch it in that format in 20 theaters in the United States which is absolutely crazy I really wanted to go see Oppenheimer in that but unfortunately the time he couldn't work out so I'll still get to see it in IMAX and AMC which isn't the same I would love to see Oppenheimer in that 70 millimeter IMAX format I can only imagine what that looks like I'd probably cry if I saw it if I'm being 100% honest with you because like I said Nolan, man. I've just loved Nolan ever since 2005's Batman Begins. I didn't see his other movies till after, but I've pretty much enjoyed every single one of them up until this point. Some of my bottom ones you guys will notice are, eh, you might be a little bit disappointed where I rank them, but I gotta be honest with myself. As time has gone on, I've really appreciated him more and more, and I try to find something in every single one of his films that I absolutely can get behind and appreciate so at least i can go back and revisit them and the only two films i don't go back and revisit are his bottom two films and that's where we're going to start with number 11 following his first film that came out in 1998 this was made on a very low budget of about six thousand dollars and it does show on screen but the story is very interesting it follows around a guy who is following other people. And one day he unfortunately is following somebody who is robbing people's houses. He's burglarizing them. And then these two end up forming a friendship. And then the movie kind of unravels into this neo-noir film that actually has a really good story in there that has a fantastic ending 
one thing about Christopher Nolan's movies is at the very end, they always leave you thinking, and this is no different. The ending to this movie will actually have your jaw hit the ground. The story and the plot of this movie is everything that's holding this film together because the technicals of this movie, because it's a $6,000 made film, are pretty poor. The acting isn't the greatest. And, you know, the sound, the audio, one thing that Christopher Nolan would become most known for it's not great here, but that's all just because of the $6,000 budget. But it was a pretty big hit. It's a very short movie. It only was 110 minutes long. This movie did so well at like the film festivals. It ended up getting him his job with Memento, which kind of actually has certain aspects of this film in Memento in the sense that it's told non-linearly, something that Nolan would end up loving to do with a lot of his movies. And you also get that score that's heart pounding score that he would love to overwhelm a lot of his scenes with he was doing this way back in 1998 with this movie i just think that it's kind of hard to put this anything higher than last just because this is the first time he's not working with a studio and it's made completely independently and it just shows on screen and it feels a little bit like a student film it doesn't feel like a big budget film or film with any budget whatsoever so it's kind of a tough watch in that sense but it's still very very enjoyable it's still like a seven out of 10 movie which is crazy for the amount of money that this movie costs to make you know this is something that could have easily been forgettable but it's not it's actually still a very enjoyable movie that builds up to a fantastic third act and a great conclusion so other than the technical stuff that's hurting this movie and some of the acting it's still something that's definitely worth your time and then at number 10 i already know i'm gonna lose some of you guys here we get 2017's dunkirk and this movie i saw the day it came out in imax i couldn't wait to see it it looked beautiful my biggest flaw with this movie is i just had a hard time connecting to anybody in this film now it tells three different stories all of them are on a ticking clock but they all take place during different amounts of time so like some might take place over the course of days some might take place over the course of hours and all that stuff is done really awesome that's the stuff about this movie i really could appreciate was it felt like christopher nolan was trying to test himself in a way to see if he can nail this and he does he does he nails this project that he's trying to go for but the problem was he kind of forgot to develop these characters in a story like this a story that you know it's funny it came out the same year as gary oldman's darkest hour which you know these can go hand in hand because that's also dealing with Dunkirk in its own way just in a very different way but that story is more compelling than this story this story just happens to be a much more beautiful looking movie and it just felt like this was Nolan trying to test himself to see if he could do it you know we got some good performances in here Tom Hardy does a great job I actually thought Mark Rylance was the best performer in this movie mainly because you have the most connection to his character and what he's dealing with in this movie I felt like he was the only person that had a little bit of heart and that's where you get Mark Rylance for everybody else you know they're in there but they're just they're all just feel so cold everything about this movie just feels cold and numb and I just had absolutely no connection to anybody in this movie and it absolutely kills me to say that and I know people love Dunkirk and would probably put this as their number one Nolan film but this movie was missing any emotion to it I left that movie just feeling completely cold I was very 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 impressed with the visuals and the audio don't get me wrong that's the stuff that keeps you going back but this is actually the only nolan movie this and following that i don't own on blu-ray or 4k and it's just because i don't see myself going back to it i won't put it last because a it's just such a well-made movie it's hard for me to knock it in the sense that it's not it's just not a bad movie it's just not a movie for me it's not my type of movie in a sense it's just i need something i need something to cling to and i couldn't cling to any of these characters the closest was mark rylance but even that he's not the most you know flushed out character because we're separated this movie into three different stories so we have to unfortunately we don't get to spend the entire film with him which maybe the movie would have been more compelling in that sense but 
It just doesn't work for me, and that's why I have to put this in number 10. And then at number 9, we get 2002's Insomnia. Now, this is a good movie, but it just doesn't feel like a Nolan movie. This feels like a regular studio release. But you get some great performances in here in Al Pacino. Robert Williams doing a villainous performance. He didn't do too many of those in his career, and especially in this movie. He's not funny at all. He's just scary. You also get Hilary Swank in here. She was popping up in a lot of movies around this time. This was really at the height of her powers. So she was in here. She does a good enough job. But this movie just tells a pretty basic story about a guy who gets sent to investigate a crime in Alaska. In a town. You know, he's already having trouble sleeping before he gets there. And then when he gets there, you know, he's already just he's an absolute mess. And in the fog, he gets lost and confused. And he ends up accidentally or did he accidentally shoot his partner? We don't know for sure, but Robin Williams thinks that he does, and his villain is just stalking Al Pacino, getting in his head. And that's what this movie is all about, but it's missing a lot of the Nolan tropes that we would come to love. You know, this movie, it's shot beautifully. It's not action-packed in any sense. This is more of just a psychological thriller, and a good one at that. You know, you get good performances in there, like I said, from Al Pacino and Robin Williams. It's just that this movie just feels less than him. This kind of feels like the kind of movie that Nolan wanted to prove, like, hey, I can make a studio movie. You send me out there, I can do it i can make the movie because this is a remake of another film which i think is a 1997 norwegian film so it's just a remake of that so it's nothing really too too special it's still a good movie though that's one thing i have to point out this is just a good movie a solid like 7.5 out of 10 movie it's something that you would watch on a saturday morning and have a great time watching but it's nothing more than that in my opinion and then at number 8, we get The Dark Knight Rises, the one that ended the Batman-Nolan trilogy. And this one is obviously the weakest in the franchise. I remember that they weren't even sure if Nolan was going to come back for this one. They obviously had to deal with Heath Ledger passing away after they already filmed The Dark Knight. So if they had any plans for him, they had to adjust. And this movie is just, uh, it's a very mixed bag. Because there's stuff in this movie that I absolutely love. The sewer fight scene between Bane and Batman when he breaks his back. And you have all, the only audio you hear is the flowing water that's down there in the sewer system and then I also really love the ending with like the snowfall and just how beautiful that stuff looks everyone does a great job acting in this movie Tom Hardy Christian Bale Anne Hathaway Michael Caine everybody does a great job in this movie from an acting standpoint Golden uh, Gary Oldman the problem with this movie is that it's just you have to defy way too much belief with this one how does Batman get his back broken get sent to Afghanistan or wherever the hell it is in the Middle East get dropped into this prison that only one person has ever escaped from which we We'll find out later in the movie who that was. But he's able to do it after healing his broken back without any kind of medical attention. Get out of there. We don't see him. All of a sudden, he just shows up back in Gotham City when nobody else could get into Gotham City. But because he's Bruce Wayne and Batman, he can get back into Gotham City. And he's gonna able to save the day. And then you obviously have that very ambiguous ending where we don't know for sure if he survives or not. You know, that's up to interpretation. And that's really what it is. They leave this entire trilogy at the very end open to interpretation. I think the ending is pretty obvious. But again... That's just my opinion. It's not everybody's opinion. I've talked to many people who have different opinions about the ending of this movie. So to do that, and I know Nolan loves loves those ambiguous endings, and this is no different than that, especially at the time. And I think that's stuff that just hurts this movie and drags it down, and it just doesn't hit the high levels that the first two movies in the trilogy hit. Now, I will admit, every time I watch this movie, I enjoy it a little bit more and more, and I think I'm just trying to appreciate it more, you know, because I do want to love this movie because it has that iconic opening on the plane, which they used to just show in IMAX the 
theaters before the film came out. They would just show you that opening scene. That's when we had the whole nobody could understand Bane Gate that was going on at the time. People were freaking out that they couldn't understand him, and they had to go back and adjust his audio. This is where we got started with Nolan and just terrible sound mixing that he loves to do. I don't know why he does it, but he just seems to love to overpower the score and make people's voices sound muffled. He would really nail that aspect once we get to Tenet, which we'll talk about in a little while. But this movie, it's still good. It's still a good conclusion. It's just, you just get that old trilogy thing where the third film just can't live up to the first two films. And the landing is a little bit messier than you had hoped. And then at number seven, speaking of Tenet, we got Tenet. Came out in 2020, starring John David Washington and Robert Patterson. This is the movie that Christopher Nolan fought to get released in theaters. He really wanted this movie not to come to streaming. It was supposed to be seen in theaters. It ended his relationship with Warner Brothers because he just felt like that this is a theater experience. And it was because when I went and saw Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, my favorite thing about that experience was I got to see it in IMAX and I got to see the opening scene from Tenet before the movie. That was my best experience with Star Wars and The Rise of Skywalker. Better than anything I saw in that movie was seeing the opening to this movie. And that's what this movie is. It's a visual showpiece. It's again Nolan dealing with time. He loves to deal with time. Apparently this movie took him five years to get the screenplay in order. And that does kind of show because this movie is a little bit confusing. I know so many people who've watched this movie and have no idea what they got out of it. And I understand that. I'm still kind of a little bit confused on it too. I'm not even going to try and give you like a plot synopsis here because if I did, I feel like that's just going to be wrong. You really kind of have to see this. But basically certain people travel forward in time while other people are able to travel back in time and then they kind of meet in the middle and they're fighting over one big MacGuffin in this movie. Honestly, this is probably Nolan's best shot at making his own James Bond film. We got guys wearing the suits, just looking handsome and debonair. I'm looking at you, Robert Patterson. You know, this is kind of his own little sci-fi twist on that. Again, Nolan doing practical effects. He really blew up that 737 that hits the airport in that one scene, which is probably my favorite scene in the movie, be that or the opening. The action set pieces in this movie really are just absolutely gorgeous. This one might rise up my list the more and more I've watched it. I've only seen it twice now, once in theaters and once on 4K. And each time I get a little bit more out of it as I understand the plot more and more as it goes on. The biggest fault of this movie, though, is Kenneth Branagh doing that ridiculous accent. I don't know why he wants to continue to do accents in movies and his acting performances. This guy is one of the best directors ever. For some reason, he just wants to get in front of a camera and do ridiculous accents in no matter what movie he's in. And he does that again here. It just doesn't work, but it doesn't matter. I still love you, Kenneth Branagh. You know, you're still, again, great guy, but my god, stop doing accents in movies. It's just, it's hurting those films. <laughs> it's really hurting those films, buddy. And then at number six, we got 2000's Memento starring Guy Pierce. This movie really put Nolan on the map. This is when people really took notice of him because this is the first time that people saw that this guy's playing with time. We got a black and white story that's kind of moving forward while our colored story is moving backwards while we try and unravel this mystery of a man who lost his memory. He's trying to figure out who killed his wife and took his memory away from him. He has very, very short-term memory to the point where he has to take notes he leaves notes on his body in the form of tattoos it's just a mystery movie like that but because the story is told so uniquely with the story moving forward and the story moving backwards and then eventually they'll meet up at the very end very similar to what he did with following in 1998 but he perfected it in this movie and not only does he give a great performance but Carrie Ann Moss gives a great performance this is only one year after Matrix and this is at the height of her powers Joey Pants is in this he's always solid no matter what he's in and this movie doesn't have the bells and whistles as far as you know like the 
filming that Nolan would do. This feels very like lower budgeted, mid budget kind of film. It doesn't have those aspects that we would come to find from Nolan once we get to like Batman Begins. But it still feels like a Nolan film because it's playing with time. It's playing with the colors, with the black and white and, and the color sections of the film. He's doing that again with Oppenheimer. So this is something that he's always loved. He always just loves to play with time. He's even gotten a dry erase board out and tried to show you like how these stories intertwine and interconnect. And I just absolutely love that about Memento. It's something that rewards viewers on multiple rewatches because the first time you're probably just like a lot of Nolan movies not going to understand what's going on. But then once you finally figure it out, it just unlocks something in your brain and you think, wow, that's a damn good movie. And for that to only be number six on my list, I should tell you something about Christopher Nolan. And then at number five, you get what I think is one of his masterpieces. And it's just this unsung one that kind of came out one year after Batman Begins and again stars Christian Bale. And I'm talking about The Prestige. This movie tells the tale of two magicians, one played by Christian Bale and another one played by Hugh Jackman. And for some reason, this movie, when it came out, I guess Batman Begins was a big enough hit, but people were getting excited for The Dark Knight that they kind of forget that this movie came out one year after Batman Begins. And it is a phenomenal movie. It's a period piece. It looks gorgeous on your screen. And then it just gets this sci-fi twist thrown in there with a great character, Tesla played by David Bowie and probably his best acting performance in my opinion man it really builds up like this rivalry between these two people one of them invents Christian Bale invents this trick where he walks through one door and then instantaneously comes out another door on the other side of the stage this obsesses Hugh Jackman it ends up ruining both of their love lives and really this obsession with each other ruins both of their lives in different ways and it really builds up to a conclusion that has a great twist ending one of the greatest twist endings in film history if you haven't seen the prestige I'm not going to spoil any more than that because this is a movie once you see it i promise you you're going to fall in love with it just know that michael kane tells you the entire film right at the very beginning with the opening lines of this movie because it is just one big great magic trick and at number four i can't believe this is at number four either guys but hear me out i got the dark knight yes 2008's the dark knight i saw this movie three times on opening day i saw it at midnight I went back the next morning, and then I went the next night. I saw this movie nine times during its initial run, and then I went back in 2018 for its 10-year anniversary to make sure I got 10 times in theaters in with this one. So I absolutely love this movie. Great memories. Some of my favorite memories ever was the anticipation of this movie. I was in a computer graphics class in high school. Me and a couple of my friends, we would watch the trailers and just go... Like This is when I got into like going on websites and trying to just get pictures of behind-the-scenes stuff. This really started to fuel my love of movies was this movie, and then Heath Ledger passed away it just got me so invested in it that i couldn't wait to see it now as time has gone on as much as i love the dark knight it's a perfect film I find that the third act of this movie with the fairy stuff to be just kind of beating you over the head with a message, and I don't think it's as good as everything that leads up to it. I do think it has a fantastic very, very end of this movie. You know, when he's riding away on the motorcycle, Gary Oldman's narrating, like, he's our Dark Knight. I love that stuff still, too. It's still a great movie. I just think that it hasn't aged as well as I had hoped it would. You know, I still rewatch it, and I still love it. Obviously, it's at number four, but I've just, I love other Nolan movies more than this. I love other Batman movies more than this movie it just every time i watch it i kind of like it less and it does kill me to say that but i also don't want to lie to you guys i can easily go put this in number one and just chime in about how much the dark knight is a masterpiece and i do think it's a masterpiece please don't let me like sell this film short i love nolan this movie is still a nine out of ten film there's just certain aspects of this movie that kind of take me out of it it feels very rushed in the third act and that's because nolan didn't know if he was going to come back for a third film so they kind of rushed two-face in there where that probably would have been better saved for the third film so all of that 
uh, it just kind of holds it back a little bit from being the best Batman movie. And that brings me to number three, Batman Begins from 2005. And this one, I didn't even see in theaters because if you guys remember, the last movie to come out from Batman franchise was 1997's Batman and Robin, which I did see in theaters. And I didn't know Christopher Nolan was in 2005. I was 13 years old, so I had no anticipation of this. My only memory about the buildup to this movie was my stepdad had a brother, a much younger brother, who was around my age, and he was talking to me. We were in the pool, and he was telling me, oh, you excited for the new Batman movie? They got this guy Christian Bale, and the villain's going to be the Scarecrow. That's all I knew about the movie. And then eventually, this movie came out on DVD, and I bought it on DVD because it's a Batman movie. I'm like, I still love Batman, so I got to see this eventually. And I fucking loved it. I think this is the second best Batman film to ever come out, only behind 1989's Batman. I guess I always just like the first in the franchise, you know, when we start to establish people. You know, 1989's Batman is really a Joker origin story. This is your definitive Batman origin story. We get to see Ra's al Ghul, played great by Liam Neeson in this movie. We get to see him, you know, all that time, his training, his build-up, told non-linearly, because Nolan loves to do that. He's still got to fit that in this movie. We got Katie Holmes, who I thought did great. I really wish she was able to come back for The Dark Knight. Not that Maggie Gyllenhaal did a bad job, but it just throws me so off that Katie Holmes isn't in that. And I really like Katie Holmes in this movie. I know a lot of people say, ah, she's not the greatest actress. I thought she did a good job as Rachel. I really do. You know, you get Michael Caine, his first time playing Alfred. He's great in here. Killian Murphy as Scarecrow is awesome. Everybody does a great job acting. I love the look of this movie, that, like, burnt orange look. The chase scene with the Batmobile, the Tumblr, Morgan Freeman. That stuff all is just fantastic. That's, you know, they tried to recapture that magic of that chase scene in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, they did a good job, but you can't recapture that. That's one of those moments in film history. One of the greatest scenes in film history, in my opinion, is in this movie, that chase scene. And really, it builds up to a fantastic conclusion that just set us up, got us all excited for the Dark Knight. So this movie might have not done great at the box office. It did good, but not Dark Knight numbers because the anticipation for three years later was set up perfectly at the very end of this movie and we all just could not wait to get back in theaters for the Dark Knight. And now we're up to my number two. And I had a hard time picking my number two and my number one. I go back and forth with these two movies all the time. I really don't know which is my favorite. Really, I should do 1A and 1B, but in favor of this list, I'm going to pick interstellar for my number two this movie took me by storm another one i didn't see in theaters at the time because the reviews weren't great i was a little tight on money back in 2014 i'm not gonna lie to you guys i couldn't go to the theaters all the time so i had to really be picky with what i was seeing but when it eventually came out on blu-ray i had just started collecting blu-rays i grabbed this and i watched it by myself on my couch one night and i fucking cried three times while watching this movie to the point where the next night i put it on again cried two times and Ever since then, I've probably seen this movie like 10 or 11 times. I just absolutely love Interstellar. I love the meaning of this movie. I love the message of this movie. I love the acting in this movie. Matthew McConaughey, this was at the height of the McConaissance. Anne Hathaway's back working with him again. Michael Caine, of course. Everybody does a great job acting in this movie. And it just tells a tale about what happens with Earth is starting to fail and we need a new home. And all of a sudden, a wormhole opened up in our galaxy that leads us to a set of planets that one of those planets should be good enough for us to live on. And we have to go there and explore. Matthew McConaughey happened to be an astronaut before you know, the world turned into what it turned into. And they had to get rid of NASA. So they had to bring him in and lead this mission because he knows how to fly these ships with a bunch of scientists. 
And the movie itself, I think, is our modern-day 2001 A Space Odyssey. This is going to go down. I think it's starting to at least get a lot of favorable reviews now. It used to not. People used to really think that Interstellar was very overrated at the time when it first came out. Didn't give it the greatest reviews. And I could not understand that. I didn't know what people were seeing. This movie is a visual showpiece. It tells a fantastic story. I understand what people are saying about the bookcase and the third act. But I love that. I don't know why. I just love that it's it's a father-daughter story. I mean, there are scenes in this movie that just break me down emotionally. When he gets back on that ship after only being on the water planet for a little while, and the amount of years, about 30 years have passed, and for him it's only been like hours, and he sees the messages from his kids, and he breaks down crying, That if that doesn't break you as a human being... It's time to seek therapy, guys, because that I mean that broke me down. I was just absolutely in shambles from that one scene, and that scene is probably the best scene in the movie, in a movie filled with fantastic scenes. So I go back and forth if this should be my number one or what my number one that I'm picking, and that is 2010's Inception. I remember when this came out. This was a big deal. This is the movie he did right after The Dark Knight, so people were hyped for this. We got that Hans Zimmer score, because that's one thing. Nolan always was really working with Hans Zimmer at the time, and that's when we got the boom that so many blockbusters would copy after. Wait, Leonardo DiCaprio's cop, he is somebody who goes into people's dreams and, you know, he tries to pull information out of them. He's got his team with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and then he's obviously bringing new people in like Elliot Page to help him do this one mission because unfortunately he can't go home. He has uh, been framed for the murder of his wife. His wife, uh, unfortunately, she passed away under dubious circumstances. I'm not going to go too far into that in case you haven't seen Inception because that is a big reveal in the movie, but he's believed to have killed his wife he's got his two kids back at home living with their grandparents but he can't go home and see them so he's a mess because he goes into people's dreams he doesn't know if he's actually in a dream or not so he's always got his totem there to try and tell him he's really all over the place and just his mind has just become mush but he's got to do this one last mission and he needs help he can't do it on its own and that mission is he has to incept Killian Murphy's character into selling his business to its biggest competition and the head of that is played by Kent Watanabe who I think is one of the most underrated actors ever this guy is fantastic and he's fantastic in this film as well so is everybody I think this is where Tom Hardy really got put on the map for a lot of people I know this is probably the first place that I saw Tom Hardy and he's great in his little role in here as well and just the visual effects of this movie just the things that Christopher Nolan was able to do with the rotating room, you know, putting the car in the water. He does all this stuff. He loves to use practical effects. He's not a big visual effects kind of guy as far as CGI goes. And that's what makes his movies stand out as well, just like the Mission Impossible movies when you compare them to like what they're doing with Marvel and DC movies. This is kind of where they stand out in the fen- in the sense that you- this stuff was really done. And it all looks so good. Obviously, there's plenty of CGI in this movie, but a lot of the stuff is done practically. But the stuff that is guided by CGI and visual effects all looks perfect. The cities that they're able to create are incredible. These cities in dreams, they really make you feel like you're in a dream. They really captured magic in a bottle with this movie. I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. This is probably my most recent addition to my top 10 films all time. And it does reward you in multiple viewings because just... Just like other Nolan movies, this is probably his most ambiguous ending where you really don't know if he's still dreaming or not. I mean, people debate this all the time, and I'll be honest, I go back and forth. I am not 100% sure if he's dreaming or not at the very end of this still to this day. I don't know. Sometimes I think he is. Sometimes I think he's not. I have, and I think that Nolan did this on purpose where he puts in hints to both. Like, he really doesn't give you the answers, and he won't tell you, so it's really up to you what you believe, and I love that about that. I know people want to get the answer to that, but I always, I'm a big fan of ambiguous endings. I really am. I always like it where it's leaving it up to you, 
and you could just go around talking with people trying to figure it out and that's what he did he got people talking about inception that's why we're still talking about inception 13 years later but anyway guys thank you so much for being here with me on another episode of let's talk i hope you guys enjoyed my nolan rankings let me know how you would rank nolan's films in the comments section below and are you excited for oppenheimer let me know that down there as well and also while you're down there make sure you guys like this video subscribe to the channel get out in those streets and tell all your friends about us